Hello. Hey, John. How are you? Wow. Hi, Dan. You made it work. I did make it work. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I'm thrilled. So I'm sitting in a Holiday Inn, (laughs) Hotel Motel Holiday Inn. All right. Here in the beautiful San Francisco Mm. on uh, San Francisco's, I mean, indisputably best street, Van Ness. Oh, yeah. Famously, famously great street. Um, and I, I was having some, I was having some trouble getting the internet all set up. Apparently, Dan, I know that this is a tech podcast, so I can talk about this. Yeah, this is where we do it. I've talked to, I've talked to you about my unlimited AT&T plan, right? Yeah. The, uh, the original AT&T plan that you were grandfathered into from day one and that you will refuse to switch away from. Right. Except that it is AT&T is brilliantly making this plan an incredible albatross. And one of the things that they do is they say the whole cool thing about setting up a personal hotspot with your phone. Oh, you can't do that. If you have an unlimited plan. No, no, no. You have to, you have to, you have to call in and get a different plan because you can't do that with an unlimited plan. No, there's so many things you can't do with an unlimited plan, Dan. So many things that you might find that an unlimited plan just isn't worth having. Yeah. They are scumbags, Dan. Yeah. Mm. They just want you off of it. But then they just want you off. They're going to push you off of there somehow. <laughs> they're going to just, they're going to be like, oh, unlimited plan. When we said unlimited, we meant three bits an hour. Unlimited number of, uh, unlimited number of three bit increments per hour. <laughs> right. As long as it's one per hour. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're just going to, they've already, they've already pushed me to the, to the wall. I'm just being stubborn. now. And then of course I, when I was trying to log into the holiday Inn web, uh, portal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it, uh, it insisted that I reboot my laptop. And then upon rebooting, the laptop wanted me to go through some song and dance about iCloud. And I had to, I had to configure my iCloud and dance around in the iCloud space. I had to agree to some new terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. It wanted to know if I wanted to set up my iCloud, and I said no later. And then it said, well, if you don't set up your iCloud, you can't use your computer. And I was like, why would you ask then? Anyway, that's the end. But here you are. Here you are. That's the end of my screen. And I'm here, and I'm so glad to be here. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm argumentative like an 80 year old, right? I'm like, I'm arguing with my tea. <laughs> I've got a cup of tea and I'm paired with it and I'm just yelling at it. I do have a cup of tea because I, I made some coffee in the in-room coffee maker and I didn't, it was, you know, I'd just woken up and I forgot that English breakfast isn't a kind of coffee. So I have a cup of tea. Oh, you're, here. you're, you're, you have a Keurig like K cup thing and you grab yeah. one of the, pods and put it in and it made tea instead of coffee yeah and i looked at it coming out and i was like oh this is the worst coffee i've ever seen i'm (laughs) not gonna drink that i'm gonna carry this down to the manager and complain i'm gonna wave this watery coffee in his face and say are you serious and then i realized oh it smells like tea i am a huge fan of the of the keurigs as bad as i know they are environmentally uh they they were wonderful wonderful things for me when i had my uh first kid and was on just a really weird schedule and up, up here and awake then. And 
it, they were wonderful because when you just sort of need that one cup on demand and you only want one, that it was there, you know. Are you saying, Dan? Are you saying that they're environmentally bad? Well, yeah, because the you mean because they produce all these little these little cups? Yeah, because the little plastic thing. There's no there's they so some of the places have come out with ones that are I guess biodegradable or they're made out of paper or yeah. something else. Yeah, but I, I have those. Those are better, but the ones that were out for a long time were just the regular little plastic that just winds up in a landfill, and people say that it's bad for the landfills, and I believe that. Well, until we mine those landfills, but that's a different podcast. Yeah. So what are you doing in San Francisco? Just visiting Merlin or what? No, no, no. As you know, Merlin is an eccentric, and you're not allowed to visit him anymore. Right. Okay. He has San Francisco. There's a process. Yeah. Both of I was I was talking to a a close friend the other day. And she remarked that, uh, that both of the people I do podcasts with are eccentric people. And I said, well, yes, of course they are. Who else would do a podcast with old uncle John besides two very, very eccentric men? I've never, I like, Maybe the, I would do I, it. I've always wanted to be termed eccentric. I've never, that's never been used toward me before. And I like it. No, I, you have, you have increasingly revealed yourself to be fairly eccentric. Okay. But Merlin also is becoming more and more eccentric as time goes on. So no, anyway, I did not come to San Francisco to see him. If I had wished to see him, I don't think it would have been possible. But I was invited here to host the World Series of Poetry. <laughs> it is a poetry competition, but not a slam. Like the idea is to get poets who are working in the traditional style of writing poems um, to come out into a public setting and in this you know, lively spirit of competition, um, read poems from their collected works. They're not improvising poems typically or at all. They're, you know, they're all accomplished poets. They all have books published and they bring all their books on stage with them. And then I get up and I, I prompt them with a prompt, usually drawn from a hat and the prompts are, they range across the whole, the whole spectrum of poetry prompts, uh, like Reese's peanut butter cups. And then the poets have just a few moments to scan through all their books and read a poem of theirs. That's just sort of in response to that prompt. And if you're lucky enough to be a poet who once upon a time wrote a poem about Reese's peanut butter cups, <laughs> then you know, you're, you already have a leg up, but if you, it, but in most cases, because they're poets, they're going to take that as a, as a pretty broad suggestion and they're going to read their poem about their sugar or something, you know, they're of the, about their, about their baby that they call sugar. Um, but it's very, very interesting to watch poets, you know, react on the fly and read their poems aloud. And then there are judges who are, uh, like poetry professors and the judges actually then critique the poems. And I mean, these are published works, right? But they, they offer a critical assessment of the poems, compare and contrast the two, and then award a point. I mean, there are two judges. They each are uh, empowered to award a point to either poem. And we go through the night, and at the end, one team, the red team or the blue team, <laughs> wins the poetry baseball. Um, so it's a lot of... It's a lot of fun. It attracts a weird crowd, as you can imagine. And I'm, I'm doing it now in Seattle 
uh, just 10 days from now on the uh, 20s, I guess the 22nd, I'm doing it again in Seattle. So I'm the new, I've, I've, I'm, they have, they've chosen me as the, as the, um, as the preferred uh, host of the poetry baseball. And I guess this is going to be, a, it's just one more thing, one more little chip in my bag of jobs. It's pretty interesting. I mean, how did they find you for this? Lord knows. Yeah. Like what uh, you didn't have like a friend who's like, Oh, John would be good for this. Get him in here. Maybe, but not that friend has never revealed themselves. Oh. <laughs> it's, you know, it's one of those things where obviously once I arrived and started meeting the organizers and meeting the poets, I felt a kinship with these people. They're, you know, part of the larger, um, the larger culture that I live in. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't feel like if you, if I was, visiting a strange town and a friend said, Hey, let's go to the poetry baseball. I would, my initial reaction would be no. But if they said, no, 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 I insist. You'll love it. I wouldn't protest. I would say, yes, of course I will love it. It's poems and poets and it'll be, it'll be fun. And then when you go and then it is fun and you're, it's revealed to you that your refusal to go in the first place was just curmudgeonly. And, uh, and I think a couple of people had that experience. I tweeted that I was here and some people came just on a lark or they, you know, they were on their way home and they said, turn the car around. John Roderick is hosting a poetry baseball Yeah, in the, in the mission. And so people did come as a result of that. And then they all, uh, every one of them reported having a great time. I always see you do that whenever you're somewhere, you said, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to be walking around. Mm-hmm. And does that that usually leads to people showing up or half the time? Yeah, no, no, no. It does. It, uh, it it there will always be somebody. Usually, there's a little crowd, and the and the um and the the general thing is, I was the the person will say kind of shyly, they'll say I was just right around here, or I or I work nearby, and I saw your thing, and I thought that's hilarious. He's just right over there. I'm going to, I'm going to get up from my desk. I'm going to go, I'm going to take the elevator down. I'm going to walk two blocks and see if I run into him. And you know, it's the fun, it's the fun of making the internet real in life. Yeah. And I don't think there's any reason that, you know, if you're in a public place, almost anyone could do this. Just say to however many people they, how many friends they are, you know, because we all have friends on the internet that we don't know. And for the most part, right? Even if you have 150 Twitter followers, you probably don't know them all. <coughs> you don't know where they are. So you say, I'm in San Francisco today. I don't want you to come to my hotel. But I definitely drink enough coffee in a day that I can spare to, I can spare a coffee with each person that shows up. Maybe not. Maybe not 16 coffees, but you know what I'm saying. My problem is I don't promote things very far in advance. So like I sent out a tweet at 5.30, saying, hey, this event is at 7. Woo! Be there. Yeah. And I got, you know, and a lot of people said, I wish I had known about this more than an hour and a half in advance. And I say, too bad. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. But what I, I mean, I talked to three people that came up. Now, that's not, maybe there were more than three that came as a result of that tweet. Maybe, maybe it was just those three. But that's, all three of them were super good to be people to talk to 
I like it. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like if you are an introvert, if you're an, a native introvert, but that has the capacity to uh, socialize in in short bursts, like uh, which is me, like cater to your nature. I mean, if you're a total introvert and you just never want to be around anybody. You're probably already catering to that nature. You've, you, hopefully, you have you've found a, a lifestyle that allows for that, because that you know that can be like when any social interaction is uncomfortable, you really have to plan. You have to plan for it. But for me, like I need to, I need to bump up against people a little bit. I just don't want them to suck out my life energy. You just have so you kind a, of have a limit. You sort of have to compartmentalize. Yeah. Yeah. You hit your wall. Um, but before you hit your wall, it's like, let's talk. I met some interesting people last night. Do you think everybody has that wall at just different degrees? Like people who we would call an extrovert might be somebody who they have that wall, but the wall set at 250 people per day. And most days they never reach that wall. And then other people, it's set at three people per day and anything beyond that causes stress. <laughs> Uh, I wonder, I mean, I'm, when I, when I first was made to understand that I was an introvert, um, it was a, it was a profound revelation and very useful to me. Like a lot of people, when they, when they're first introduced to Myers-Briggs, they have this like incredible, uh, a, a weight is lifted from them because they took a simple test and then it was revealed to him, to them, like that they're a type, they're an INFP, right, right, and and that description of that type sort of comports with who they already thought they were, but it gave voice to it, you know, and so so it's liberating because a lot of us feel out of step with the rest of the culture, and when you see like, oh no, I'm just this type of person, and this type of person is sort of this much of a deviation from the mean. Although if you look at all the Myers-Briggs personality types, there's not one of them that's like, it's not like there's one type according to that scale where 50% of the people are that. Right. They're spread across it. They're spread across it. Right. Some of them are less, um, less likely than others. But then as you, as you live with your revelation that you're an INFP or whatever you are, over time, you start to see the cracks in how sufficient that is to really describe you as a person. You're like, yeah, I mean, I am that, but I'm also in some ways, you know, more this than that. And, and, and it isn't quite revealed to be like a, like a fortune teller or like a, like a, uh, uh, uh like astrology mm -hmm. because, you know, if you read an astrologer's, uh, star chart of you, you can absolutely say, Oh my God, this is incredibly accurate. Cause the, you know, the astrologer says you're a really caring person who sometimes feels like her caring isn't appreciated. And you're like, oh! but then over time, hopefully you read it more critically or, or it just evolves and you, and you feel like, oh, I don't know, is this sort of, <laughs> this is, seems pretty general or, I mean, the specific ones like 
<coughs> your second toe is longer than your 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 big toe. It's like, did she just guess? Is that? <laughs> but anyway, the the diagnosis of introversion that I accepted as a description of myself, it 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 uh, was such a liberation because all of the th- things that had sort of tormented me in interactions with other people that I just couldn't, I, I wasn't motivated like other people seemed to be motivated. And I was always at odds because what felt natural for me to desire, which was to have this interaction wrap up pretty quickly so that I could go away and find, find my, my um, preferred place, which is sort of in my own company, sailing along, not necessarily home in a box, but like walking through the city <laughs> at night alone was my, you know, that was what I wanted to be doing. And, and I, and, and in fact, if someone wanted to come with me, uh, that was always fine with me, but you know, I didn't, I wasn't going to invite them because, because a desire to have somebody there was secondary. Right. Um, and that put me at odds with everybody who was trying to have a relationship with me. So for 10 years, I think I walked around and I explained almost everything that was happening. Every social impulse I had, I explained by saying, well, I'm an introvert. And people always laugh and they say, you're, you're an introvert? Like you're a very public person. You're, you know a lot of people. You're always out in public doing stuff. And I would say, well, yeah, but that's a... That's a thing I learned, a defense mechanism. You know, I, I, I took it from my father who was an extroverted person. I understood that you can be social but still keep, and that's how you keep your private space. But over the years, right, that that is just, it's too simplistic. And I still I still call myself an introvert because it explains why why I'm always, I'm always peering longingly at the exit door, but I really do have a good time with people. It's just that if you ask me, do I want to go in this room and meet some people? I'm, I, if I'm honest, I will say, well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rather do that. I would rather you take your hand off my arm. And then I'm going to point down the hall and say, oh, my God, look. And then when you turn around, I'm just going to just slip around the corner and I'll walk very fast. And hopefully I'll be out of the hotel by the time you see by the time you realize I'm gone. Like, that's my instinct. But if you push me in the room, my God, I'm going to I'm going to try and have a good time. So I can't I I, I can't uh, reduce it down to a down to a type, I guess. But my sister does not want to slip out of the back door of the hotel at all. Yeah. She's like, let's go. Let's get in the room. Why are we still in the hall? Mm -hmm. And I've never seen her, you know, she gets fed up. She gets irritated with people at the end of the night. She's tired and she says, let's go. But it's not that she it's not that she gets overloaded and that her synapses are like make it in, in make her incapable of processing new emotion emotional energy 
which is what I feel kind of happens to me. We would like to say thank you to our sponsor today. It's Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon, better than whatever you're wearing right now. It's true. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I went on the, why not? I went on the website. I bought some stuff. Why not? They're going to sponsor the show. I get to see what I'm supposed to be talking about here. And it turns out, super easy experience because they're very straightforward. They make just a few things and they do a really good job of making them. They make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. All of their products, naturally antimicrobial because they want you to be comfortable, right? Well, if it turns out you get the stuff, you don't like it. You can keep it. Your first pair, keep it. They'll still refund you, no questions asked. That's how confident they are in the stuff that they make. Not only does the stuff that they make look good, it performs well too. Super important, you want to wear this stuff when you're working out, going to work, out on dates, everyday life, whatever it is. It has to move the way you move and it does. So go check it out. MacWeldon.com. MacWeldon.com. And if you use the code ROADWORK, one word, you will get 20% off. So thanks very much to MacWeldon.com. Don't forget that promo code ROADWORK for 20% off. Thanks, guys. See, I think if people met you, because I've, I've seen you in social situations, no one would ever think that, and we talked about, didn't we talk about this once? Was it on the air? Maybe it was just you and I talking, but I don't think anyone would ever put you in the category of a seeming introvert. I know lots of people who are more introverted. And I think the kind of image that we have of an introverted person is that person who's sort of on the outskirts of the conversation. They're just sort of standing there, maybe listening. They laugh when there's just a joke told and, you know, they're kind of off to the side. And then, you know, the earliest opportunity to, to kind of, oh, well, you know, those people over there are leaving. You know what? I'm going to head out too. Can I see you guys? Bye. And then they go home and then they don't talk to anyone for three days because they're recovering. And I think that's kind of the like stereotypical image we have of an introvert. Whereas sure. you, you are frequently, I would put you in the category of like life of the party mm. as opposed to uh, an introverted person. Although knowing you, I know you are introverted, it, but it's not an act. And I think that's important to say. It's, it's like if someone was to go to a party, they would see you sitting there. You're sitting by the fire. There's, you know, a, a throng of people around you and you're spinning a yarn. You know what I well, mean? Well, I love this party. Yeah, I don't know where it was, but I'm... This, I'm, is, yeah, this is how I imagine it. And maybe you're in like an old rocker, you know, just mm, like, mm, you know... and a blanket over my yeah, knees. Yeah, a flannel blanket over your knees. Maybe you have a you have a pipe this time. Maybe it's not even lit, but it's there for effect, you know. Uh, and like an old old fisherman's hat on with the lures in it wow you know but with the lures in it yeah but i i feel like that would be a natural thing for for you to do but then it seems like that that takes that is also a kind of performance in the same way that for you getting up on stage would be a performance but why is it john that so many times when i I hear about this from people who are 
performers, people who are artists of one kind or another, whose essentially their job is to get up on stage in front of people and do a show that they happen to also be the most incredibly introverted people you'd ever meet. Why is that? I don't, I don't know. You know, the, the, um, cause you have a lot lo- of musician and artist friends. Is that, is that a thing or am I, am I making a generalization? No, it is. I mean, the luckiest performers I think are the ones, well, just like, I guess from the perspective of an introvert, the luckiest people are the ones that have all that energy. What, what seems, I mean, I hate to, to, to talk about it in, in, I guess the term that I'm accustomed to talking about it because I admire extroverted people. It's just that from within an introverted mentality, extroverted people seem um, like they are having fun at the expense of having depth. Um, You hear it all the time from people that are, that suffer suffer from these various psychological maladies of depression and anxiety and so forth that, you know, as great a burden as depression is when you encounter people who aren't depressed and have never been depressed, you kind of feel like you can't trust them. And it's a, it's a kind of strange, uh, it, it creates a strange subculture where the musicians I know that are truly just like unburdened of, anxiety or unburdened of this sort of um, like either, either social anxiety or spiritual anxiety. And they just get up there and woo, come on. Um, And all they're doing is having fun. It's amazing to watch you envy them profoundly. There's a, there's a singer of a band um, that is uh, uh, an Austin band that the long winners were sort of compared to over the years. And as time has gone on, I've realized that when you read an article in a newspaper that says, Oh, the long winners are like Ted Leo and the pharmacists or the long winners (laughs) are like, Oh, the old 97s or the long winners are like, it's like, what? No, we're not. We're not at all. I don't know why it's just some writer is heard your song and they heard their song and that's, they're trying to make some comparison, but it's, it's not like for a long time. I, I walked around. I was like, are we like the old 97s? I'm trying to see how, or how are we like Ted Lee on the pharmacist? But it, and it, and it, and it like, it was, it confused me. And then I realized, Oh, what am I doing? When I write an article about something, I, I do that exact same thing. Jennifer Aniston is sort of the Kierkegaard of the cast of friends. What? That, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything at all. Um, but so when you see a singer that just, loves it. And, and it is very hard when you're sitting around after the show, let's say you all play a big festival together and you're sitting around the hotel lobby and the musicians that are just like living the life and in their extroversion are just having sort of uncomplicated experience where I, uh, there are all these cliches like it living in the moment and, um, you know, being sort of present and you watch people like that and you go, that's, that's so awesome. They appear to be living entirely in the moment. It does not seem in this hotel lobby surrounded by fans 
drinking red wine that they are doing like I am doing, which is replaying and processing things that happened 15 years ago and gently watering with a watering can with a, with a copper watering can, every fear and anxiety I ever had about other people and sitting here sort of certain that I am, um, you know, a, an UFO who just landed from another universe. Like no, they do not appear to be carrying on conversations and also carrying on all that camp train of unnecessary, uh, like telegraph data, right? There's, there's in my head always just like messages from across the Atlantic. Charles Lindbergh has landed in Paris and, and I'm like, I'm, I'm in, I'm in Barcelona right now and I am eating paella, uh, with a beautiful girl. Why am, am I not just here? And, and that's that. And I see that as related to introversion, although it doesn't, it's not in the, it's not in the definition of it somehow, but when, when, when my friend first said that I was told me that she thought I was an introvert, I rebelled against it because sure. I had that. I know a lot of people as you describe who are, who are just visibly introvert. And I said, what are you talking about? You know, I, I, I took the word to mean it, to mean a, a, like a lack of social dexterity. And, and my friend said, no, you're the most introverted person I know. And, and almost everyone I know is an introvert. And you're just like, you're the one that is the hardest to penetrate. And I, and as she explained it, I understood what she was saying. And she was describing all these things that I'd never had a, I'd never had a name for. Um, and you know, like I say, I felt liberated by it, but, but when I'm in a group of people who are introverted and I claim to be, or, and I profess fellow introversion, mm-hmm. there does feel that, there does feel that gulf where, you know, where they look at me and go, okay, we accept, we, we accept what you're saying with a smile, but you're, but you're a different bird. Like it, I mean, you know, I can, I can speak to introverts knowingly. But obviously, yeah, I'm the, I'm I'm also being the center of attention. So I, it's a, it's an insufficient. You can't give a one word description of it, right? But when I moved into my house out in South Seattle, I felt finally that I was liberated from the confines of the, you know, the forced interaction of the town, but. Then I realized for weeks at a time, I made no attempt to be in the company of other people. And after seven days of seven days of not speaking aloud, Mm. because I was just puttering around my house saying like, well, now these Soviet pins (laughs) belong over here in this box of pins, but over here, there's also this collection of Soviet memorabilia. Where do the pins belong? You know, seven days later, like 
my, you know, my voice creaks when I answer the phone. Hello. Oh shit. I haven't spoken. And I realized like, Oh, I need to, uh, my instinct is to go all the way away. And I, and I, so I have to force myself into the culture again. I don't know. Do, I mean, you, you call yourself an introvert, right? Or do you not? No, I mean, wouldn't I, I wouldn't, I don't think so. I don't listening, you know, listening to you talk about it kind of makes me want to really think about it more and reevaluate it more. I'm definitely not an extrovert in, in again, that stereotypical image of an extrovert who's going out, you know, every night and has got a huge group of friends and doing something like, no, that's not me. I'm, I'm quite content to have, you know, a small group of friends. Um, and I'm very careful that who I would call a friend, you know, in that, like somebody that I met and like saw once, they're probably not a friend, you know, maybe in a, a year, you know what I mean? Whereas I know people who will say like, oh, I just had lunch with my best friend. Like, yeah, well, we just met last week and we're best friends now. Well, you know, like, but I have, a, I have a small, I have a small group of friends, a small group of people that I enjoy talking to. Um, but I have, I have no, I don't know what the right, it's not, not stage fright, but whatever the thing is that makes people nervous about getting up in front of a crowd, I've never, I've never had that. Oh yeah. Um, You're, you're comfortable. Just, uh, just like, hello. Very, very comfortable. I don't have any kind of social phobias or anxieties. I have enough, I have enough phobias, but then not, <laughs> not any of the social ones, you know, like don't get me, you know, near, like I, yeah. I, I might have to move if I saw more than three spiders in a 24 hour period, but I'm not, you know, socially in front of people, I'm, I'm fine. And getting up in front of very large groups of people and, you know, in a way that, that is, you know, to give a talk or to host a thing like that's, I don't, I don't bat an eye. I don't get nervous. I don't have to even think about it before I have to do it, which, you know, and public that puts speaking. You in a, that puts you in a, a rare group of people. I think, I think that that's, that's an unusual quality, right? Yeah. You know, I think you it, say? it seems to be, I've never, none of my other friends have it that I've known have been like that, but I totally know what you mean when you talk about you know, like you go and you meet people and you hang out and you do a thing like halfway through it. I'm starting to think of like, well, you know, it's like 1030 and usually right now I'm usually watching an episode of Good Wife and hanging out and ready to get to bed. You know, it's more like I kind of want to stick to my I do have my sort of my regimen, my rituals, the things that I like to, to do in a day. And for me, right. they, well, and, that, and that's part of your eccentricity. too. Sure. I can yeah. see that. But like. That's more like for you, if it's 11 o'clock at night, 50% chance you're going to make a cup of coffee and start reading 50% chance you may go on a walk downtown, you know, like for me, I kind of have like, I stick to a more of a routine, not quite a rain man routine, but I have, you know, stuff I like to do, but, but, uh, you know, but like going out to an event where there's going to be lots of people or a a get together or a meetup or, or just meeting with friends like that doesn't. I don't like go to that. And then at the end of it feel like, Oh God, I'm so glad that I'm so drained. Like, right. I don't, I, I generally feel either neutral or energized from being with people. And so I, I don't know, but I'm, I totally get what you're saying in that I'd be content to see the same very small group of people 
for extended periods of time. I wouldn't be like, oh, I just want to go out and see 100 people today. And I certainly know people that are like that. Oh. Well, see, that that is a – that it's it's interesting as you have described yourself and, you know, you've made just a couple of like um, – you've sort of described yourself different from, from who you imagine that I am. And, and in two, two crucial ways, um, I'm, uh, like you, you, um, you, you misapprised like what I would do in that situation. Like for instance, there is, there's never, because you are so, uh, devoted to your routine mm-hmm. as you're trying to imagine me walking around at night, you're imagining a scenario where it's like there's a 50% chance that I'm going to get up and go walk around the city and in fact there is at any given moment a 5% chance that I will do anything and it's across the board right, right? there's zero I have zero regimen <laughs> yeah um, right, so like I had five, 5% no chance regime. at any moment of the day that that you could literally do anything a human is capable of doing I, w- in the in the sense that I am limited by resources and limited by my physical, you know, position in space, <laughs> I cannot right. five minutes from now be in Paris, but like, it's very unusual. I mean, because I have a child, I have to be places at yes. times, yeah. but before I had her, when I didn't have to be places at times, I, <laughs> there were no, I mean, if you pulled up and this happened Fairly regularly, like I was walking down the street. This is many, many years ago. Walking mm-hmm. down the street, and a guy pulls up in a car, and he's like, "Hey, John!" And I'm like, "Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What are you doing?" He said, "Oh man, I'm going to Alaska." This was in Seattle. I was like, "You're going to Alaska right now?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm like, I'm leaving town." And he points back, and his car is full of stuff. And he's like, "I'm driving to Alaska." And I was like, "Really?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I said, "Can I come?" And he said, "Yeah." And I just got in the car and we drove to Alaska Done. and I knew some people in Alaska, obviously, including my mother. Right. Right. So I had a place to go when I got there, but like there wasn't anything keeping me from doing that until very recently. And now it's just my daughter. And if I'm not obligated to, um, to pick her up for instance, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. To, you know, if I'm not her caregiver at any given moment, it's back to the same old thing. Like, mm, I don't know. Should I go? I can't, I can't go to Spokane on a, on a moment's notice. Cause I see my kid every day, but, but, uh, but I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not operating from a small palette of possibilities. And the other thing is, uh, you described an introvert as wanting or, you know, or like by, by, um, by default preferring to be with a small group of friends. And that is not the case with me at all. Um, and I think this is what my, my old friend was saying. Like I have, cause you've got, you've got tons and tons of people who you hang out with almost, almost rotating out all the time. Yeah. And, and I, and what's, what makes it difficult is that all of, I have, I have a lot of groups of close friends and in most cases, I think from within the group, I'm thought of as a member of the group. Um, and though, and that group is a group of very close friends that socialize kind of exclusively with each other, or I mean, primarily with each other, right? A group of five to 10 people that have known each other for a decade or more 
that have dinner parties with one another and their kids grow up together and so forth. And I'm a member of a multitude of these groups. And in each group, I fulfill the same role, which is, well, John doesn't come to everything we do. John is sort of the person that is that somehow he's a close member of our, of our family, but he's the one that, that kind of cancels or doesn't reply or, you know, he's the problematic friend that can't quite be nailed down. Isn't quite ever there, but you know, I'm invited to like the, the most intimate of those gatherings, you know, and so I'm a, I'm a close friend. I'm a close friend. Mm -hmm. Like I'm in the wedding part, but, but from within me, from in my mind, it's very natural to be a member of, of, um, you know, of multiple groups of close friends. It feels very natural. I, I don't feel like I'm misleading anybody. I'm not a member of some group under false pretenses. Right. Like I met them. I got close to them. We're all very intimate with one another, but they prefer to socialize with each other. And I need to get, I need to leave at a certain point and go socialize with other people. So I don't, I'm, I'm in some ways the most, uncomfortable and the most looking for the exit on about day three <laughs> of a concentrated amount of time with a small group of friends. Right. Like this weekend I'm going to a bachelor party, which has gradually gone from a bachelor party night to a bachelor party weekend. Mm. And the bachelor party weekend is now three days long and it's taking place in a small cabin in the forest. And I'm driving my RV there. So the RV is going to be like a, like a bunk house next to the cabin, but there's only six of us there. Six dudes who are, um, who are the, you know, the groomsmen and, it's going to be super intense, right? Because, because within the six dudes, you know, the other five of them, like that's their main gang. Mm -hmm. They see each other all the time and they're like, they're super tight and I'm super tight with them. But, but this is going to be a level of intimacy with them that I generally escape from yeah at certain points right? i wouldn't i wouldn't want that that doesn't sound well but it's going to be amazing first of all there's an epic storm coming to seattle like a hundred year storm yeah is on its way there now hundred mile an hour winds. wow and we're and we're going to be in the forest hundred mile an hour winds and torrential rain we're going to be uh, <laughs> down on this cabin and, uh, and the guys were like, Hey, why don't we get a bunch of, I mean, all, they're already planning on like, we're going to bring the meat of 50 animals and most of the guys don't drink anymore. So it's not going to be like a crazy booze fest. Right. 
uh, and the cabin is out where there's no TV. And I mean, this is what I mean about it being intense. Like, all right, well, I guess we're going to sit around and whittle while, uh, while Rome burns because there are going to be tidal waves. Mm -hmm. But then somebody was like, why don't we all go to Cabela's and get full paintball gear? Like just full on blow a bunch of money, get paintball combat equipment. And then while this storm is raging and trees are falling in the forest, we'll be like six middle-aged dudes with camo face paint on, like knee deep in mud trying to shoot one or another. And I was like, could there be a better bachelor party? I mean, I, I can't imagine a thing I would love more than to just be huddling under a log, huddling under a rotting log in the woods for four hours, just waiting for some dummy to come along. Some dummy who's one of my closest friends to come along so I can shoot him like that's a bachelor party. Let's do that three days in a row and just hope that one of us doesn't die. That would be very awkward on the wedding day. <laughs> but, but you know, all of these, like the, all these descriptions of trying to figure out some names for these, uh, predispositions or, or predilections. Yeah. It's all it, the, the initial experience of, of having a name for something mm -hmm. is at least for me, like of that feeling of great relief, like God, it's not a, I'm not, I'm not sick. I have a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a kind, a type because when when I was younger and this group of people that I was close with would start to do that thing, like in college, my group of friends, we were tight with each other. And then the, and there were, you know, and there were, um, girls and guys in equal numbers. And, you know, there was a little bit of dating within the gang. So I went out with, this girl and then I went out with that girl and and then uh, they started to pair off um, and then they started to get married and that group of friends that I had in college all married one another <laughs> and they persist as a group of friends and I would still, I think, be invited to any of those gatherings and would still be considered one of the, one of the close friends. But as I watched that group morph into, uh, into its next form, there was absolutely no way that I was going to stay in that, uh, that I was going to make that transformation. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to marry anybody in that group. I wasn't together with them i wasn't gonna you know we were not a they were a group that was that was going to face the future together and i was headed in the opposite direction alone and as I, as that happened many many times throughout life like here's another group i'm very close with these people i love them and they are all coalescing and they want this they want to coalesce they want to uh feel that closeness and have those cocktail parties and be a, a clan. I was always headed in the opposite direction. And I always felt that I always felt sorrow at what I was missing because it seemed like 
that's what people want. Mm -hmm. They want that closeness. They want that community. And I, and I was, I was just this free radical. Um, the electron that gets, that gets kicked out every time. And, and even sometimes the group would coalesce around me. And, but then I would end up being the electron. So giving those, the, giving that a name was a great relief, but, but now I guess I'm, I'm, I'm laboring under the fact that not only are the names not sufficient, but, but maybe they, maybe the name is inhibiting too. Um, and you know, and I, because I use the terms in order to preempt other people's disappointment. And I think that's my primary, my primary well, what feeling. Do you, what do you mean exactly by that? I've, I've always felt like a tremendous disappointment to people. It's one of the main, uh, the main feelings I carry. And all of my interactions with people that are close to me mm -hmm. are sort of predicated on my own sense that if I'm not a disappointment to you now, I will be shortly. And that's terrible. Well, and it, and it came from constantly being a disappointment to people. You know, I didn't, I don't think I, I don't think when I was seven years old, I thought that I was a disappointment to people, but I mean, actually that maybe is not true. I think maybe when I was seven years old, I, I, I thought I was a disappointment. Um, and and I and I think it has to do with unrealistic expectations, and it has to do with um, with not not ever being able to accept what is, but always comparing what is to what could be. Mm. But in a lot of in a lot of my my close relationships, the conversation I've had over and over again is. The person that loves me, that I love, sitting there and saying, what is the problem? This is so easy. We want to be together. Let's be together. Mm -hmm. And I go, I, it does seem easy, but I would like to leave now. And that's, you know, I, and I don't, I'm not leaving because I don't like you. I'm not leaving because I don't want that, that closeness with you. I just also want to be, uh, uh, you know, be an independent operator or be, um, or be, or just walk the city at night alone. And it's, and, and everyone you meet says, that's fine. Be that go walk the city at night alone, but you know, on a, on a schedule, right? Like, well, you know, Wednesdays and, and, and Saturdays from 11 to one, no, you don't want to get, pin, you don't want to get pinned down to that. Well, it's not even that. Like I just couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine it. Um, it's not that I, it's not that I resisted or rebelled. Like you can't pin me down. It's that I just, it, that is, that's speaking a different language. Kind of like you were doing, uh, like with that exchange we had a second ago, yeah. like what you're describing going on a walk around town between 11 and, and one on Wednesdays and Saturdays is not at all the thing you're describing a different thing, uh, describing a different life. So that, but so that disappointment is like, it's kind of mutual, right? And in my case, always 
super sad because I sit there in the chair and I say, I don't want this relationship to end. And they say, I can't live in a world where you are an electron just bouncing around, creating different elements all the time. And so as I've gotten older, I've really tried to, uh, you know, there was that great period where I felt like liberated by this new theology Hmm. that I was this type and I couldn't be, um, that I wasn't, I wasn't doing this because I was incapable of something. I wasn't doing this because I was mean mm-hmm. and, and, and the one refrain I heard over and over my whole life was, well, you just haven't met the person or people that you're meant to be with. You just haven't found the, the thing like everybody finds their thing and you just haven't found your thing yet. That's why you're not able or ready to, you know, to make these, to make these leaps. And I always resisted that. I thought that that was reductive. Like, no, I don't, I have met the person or people multiple times. It's not that I, it's not that I am waiting around to, to meet my people or to fall in love. Like those, that, those things have happened. It's just that I'm, I'm made to perform a different role. There's always someone who lives on the edge of town. You know, the, 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 the people that go out into the mountains and come back once every five years with a bunch of pelts. I'm not one of those people. I hope like I like to come to town, but I live on the, on the edge of town, the far edge of town. Let's say just outside of the town along the river and travelers that come through meet me and I'm often gone for long periods. <laughs> you know, that's like a role. Do you, There's get, a role. Do, you, do you get lonely? No. See, I think that's a huge differentiator between, and I, I have no idea if this applies to introverts, extroverts, any of that. But I think for you, that is something that is unique, not in the whole of humanity, but when most people, most people, when they imagine John by himself, they imagine themselves by themselves and think, I would be lonely or I would be bored or, you know, Almost, I, I'm not saying that they feel pity toward you. I'm saying they would pity themselves in your situation, mm-hmm. thinking, Ugh, "Like he, you know, he must he must be so lonely. He doesn't act lonely, but he he just doesn't know he is lonely. <laughs> He's uh-huh. just lonely in there." <laughs> but because I think many people, I don't know most, but many people, you know, they they would become lonely living on the outskirts of town. They want, or perhaps feel they need, or do need more human interaction than that. But I think there is plenty of people who, who are listening to you thinking, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I would kind of like that. And there's other people who, who would say, I'm not that brave to live on the outskirts of town or to be that, that kind of person. Well, and I think that's the flip side, right? Of, I feel this, I feel a deprivation, not not of, not of uh, the actual like 
a deprivation that comes from feeling lonely. Like, why can't I meet my people? Right. I don't feel that. I feel the deprivation of, well, I love these people and they are now all going into this next phase of life together and they're going to feel this close intimacy with one another and their lives are going to take shape around one another. Uh And I don't want that at all. And so as the, as the ship sails away and I'm on the dock waving or maybe I'm on the ship and they're on the dock waving, but it's usually not that right. I mean, they're all, they're all consumed with their new lives. They're not standing there waving at me. Right. They're on the ship, they're headed out and I'm on the dock. I feel the deprivation of not knowing what that will ever feel like to be in it. I don't, I don't want it, but I see it as a thing. I don't, you know, in a way, maybe as a lack of bravery. A lack, it isn't a lack of bravery. It isn't a lack of bravery, but that's what it feels like. Like I'm not brave enough to join them on the boat. And so when people say I'm not brave enough to live on the edge of town, it's, it's very, it's similarly wrong, right? right? Like living on the edge of town doesn't require bravery. It's just, I mean, when I go to the edge of town and stake my claim there, it is because that is what I want to do. Like what I'm meant to do. It's not, I don't, it doesn't feel brave. It just feels necessary. And so, yeah, I see from the, from the outside, people say like, oh, I would never dare. Well, because you're not, that's not what you're, that's not what you want. Um, I don't want to be on the boat, but I, but, but I, but I feel that it's, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a similar sort of like, if only, if only I had just a little bit more of a certain kind of a certain like taste of humanity, I can like, I have full humanity, of course, but whatever my, whatever the, the spices of it are like, I don't have, you know, I don't have those spices where you would ever identify me as the cuisine of a region uh, of a region. You know, here, oh, he's, there's a lot of turmeric in, in this person. And so they're, they're part of this region really distinctively. And I just have a sort of <clears throat> like the, the spices that are like, what is that? That reminds me of something, but you know, it, it's not bland, but it's not, it's not local either. <laughs> and as so. So now, right, I'm trying, I'm, 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 uh, I'm in a different phase of life. I'm, I'm in a different, I'm in adulthood now. My daughter has given me all this. She has located me in space and time and I'm ready to, I'm ready to make another evolution because, because it would be very, very, very easy for me to stay On the edge of town. I <clears throat> the other day, my mom sent me a link to a church in Tacoma, Washington that's for sale. And it's a church, a full-on church, like not some little storefront church, but a church with a steeple and stained glass, the whole kit and caboodle. And it's a church that I could afford to buy. It's a 
It's a little rundown. It's in a little bit of a rundown neighborhood, uh-huh. but one that will one that will be a you know one that will bloom again. Are you in the market? I just are you in the market for a church? Well, I have always wanted. <clears throat> I've always wanted to live in a church, Dan. Live in it, not like open a ministry of some kind. No, to turn a church into a home. Uh, many years ago, I was outside of the town of um, Harrow in England, and and I was uh, walking in the in the fields. And there was a stone church sitting up on a hill and it was looking over the English channel and it's far enough away. Um, oh wait, it wasn't Harrow. It was, uh, let's see. I can, I can, uh, Google it very carefully, very, very quickly here. It was, um, church. And it was far enough away from London that I suppose it was commutable in the same way that like a, a waterfront home in Connecticut is commutable to someone in New York City. You would just have to really uh, try and this would be the thing that you that you wanted, right? You, you're you're gonna you're gonna spend two hours on the train every day, both mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. because you want to, Oh my God, Google maps. It used to be such a good program. Do you remember when Google maps was a good program? <laughs> yeah. The good old, the good old days. And it worked, it worked really well. And it was like, you didn't have to, you didn't have to figure it out. Yeah. It's cause it already had been figured out, but not now, not now. What am I looking for here? It's not Colchester. It's not Ipswich. It's not, oh, it's Harwich. Glad I got, glad I figured that out. I said Harrow. I meant Harwich. Anyway, a stone church sitting on top of the hill. And I walked, oh, you know, I was, I was walking through the country. And so I, you know, I approached this little stone church and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't in decay. It looked, it looked nice, but it was surrounded by fields of grass. Mm. And as I walked up, I peered in the window and it had been converted into a luxury home. Mm. And I tried to imagine who it was that could live in a church outside of Harwich. And it had been done up with it. You know, it had like that, what at the time was contemporary lighting where they'd strung a wire across the room and then they were little little lights were hanging from the wire that had little purple bulbs or whatever. I mean, it was, it had been done up very nicely and I'd always wanted to live in a church even before I saw this church and I, I, there was nobody home. And so I walked around and I peered in all the little churchy windows and it just was like, whoever these people are, even if it takes them two hours to get to London, I understand why they live in this place. Um, It's like, I don't know. You just, the, the ceilings are so tall and the room is so open. There's all that, that room for your thoughts to go up, 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 up into the rafters. And then they're up there. You don't have to, you're not bumping in all day. Your thoughts and your, and your craziness can just all go up into the, you know, up around the ceiling fans. 
And then the space down here where you're walking around making coffee and stuff can be kind of clear of them. Anyway, there's this church in, <clears throat> in Tacoma, and I and my mom sent it to me like, lol, you know, here's your church. <laughs> right. And your and your ears perk up like, yeah, here here like, is my church. How fast can I sell my house and move into this church? Well, you know, I'm not sure right now what stage of life I'm in. And I feel like if I don't that at this age that I am now, middle age, you you see all the time how easy it is to <clears throat> to resign at this point in life. And it isn't it 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 never feels like that. It doesn't it's not such a, it's not a single motion. You're not presented with, here's another opportunity of life. And you say, I resign, right? It's all, it's this incremental, small resignation of just like, well, this is who I am. I'm a, you know, I'm an introvert. I'm a, uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm a father and a musician and so those questions are answered and they suggest what I am capable of and they suggest my future to me in ways that, that makes me comfortable. And so when a decision comes along, I get to use this toolbox and it allows me to know what my choice is. And, and from, from where I stand, I see a lot of people just sort of marching, maybe joyfully, but marching into a future where they are themselves. And I've never, I haven't lived that way in the past. And, but, but now I, I, but it's very tempting now because I've learned so much about who I am and the comfort. I'm ready for some comfort and ready for some security. Yeah. But I need to now, you know, the, the knowledge is not, the knowledge that's important to me is not the knowledge that I've gained about who I am, but it's the, it's the process by which I've gained that knowledge. Like the process is actually the important, um, the, the important data. And I need to keep applying that process rather than, rather than like harvest the crop of what I've learned and, you know, and use, use that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really much more, um, to keep teaching myself to fish. And so I don't, you know, like, do I buy a church? That is, Absolutely the dream of, of John 15 years ago. And if I bought a church and lived in it, I, that would be so on brand, right? There's not a, there's not a single person in the world that wouldn't go like, yeah, of course. Tip of the hat. Yeah. <laughs> he has, he lives in a church now and like, gold star 
and I could live in, I could, if I lived in a church, I could live there until I was 90 years old and, and no one would bat an eye. And I could also like sort of not bat an eye at this point, but I, I, but I, I feel like the, the important information is that I need to keep seeking. I think, I think I do. And because I, because I don't have a sense that all the seeking I've done throughout my life was in order actually to find it was seeking for its own sake. And, you know, I've learned enough now that I could, that I could easily say, like, I have found what I was seeking. And I, and I, I just have to kind of turn the wheel of the car and point it back out on the highway yeah. and do it even, you know, even kind of force myself uh, back out on the road. And we'll see, you know, if I get out on the road or if I stay on the road and I, and I, and, and I feel like I've actually metamorphosed and the, and I no longer, and I'm, it's a metaphorical road, obviously I'm not going on the road. I'm not, it's not the, whatever that terrible book is about the road called the road. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean terrible. Like it's a bad book. It's a terrible book full of terror. But I'm not going on that road. I just mean like within myself, how do I keep from, from, from sitting back in my chair? 